Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and we're back with another episode and more importantly another top guest. Joining me tonight is someone from the world of music and that's because it's none other than Junior Turner. Junior, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show tonight and I hope all is well. Yeah, thanks very much for having us Dan, it's, uh, it's lovely to join you tonight. Well it's a pleasure to have you on as I say. So, as always, it's a great place to uh, to start is the background. So, I believe yours is quite a storied one. There's always a bit of an interesting story to tell from anyone who's a musician. So, how did you get into the music industry? Tell us about that. Um, it, well, we'll go back to school, really. Um, even from a young age, I was always involved in um, stage productions and, and um, kind of theatre work in and around school. Um, pantomimes, whatever was on the, on the offer, and I was... Um, normally first in the queue to be part of it. Um, being from a young age, my dad, he uh, had an entertainment business with discos. Um, so I was always around music and, and stage and all of that. So that combined, um, it, it kind of transpired from a young age through school, through being around music at home and dad having the, the music uh, business. Um and then when I when I got to like thirteen fourteen, uh, karaoke was born, um, and it was a, a new newfound fad. And um, we used to have a, a, a system which, um, because of the price of them back then, used to get stored in the house out, out of the damp and cold. And uh, sneakily, I used to come upstairs and set it up and have a little sing song to myself. And um, or normally to me mates, used to pin them down and make them listen. <laughs> and, um, Sure enough, in time, um, via school and via uh, dad's line of work, opportunities uh, arose um, in terms of how I came to um, into this job, I suppose. Um, my dad had a singer on with him one night. Uh, my dad's Dave. My real name's Dave. And I was about 13, 14 in the summer holidays, and I was allowed to go and hide behind the gear in case the police came into the pub. And um, the singer lost his voice. And um, he said, uh, oh, I can't go on. I had a cassette, which was like the, the, the in thing then. And I had recorded some of the karaoke tracks that I preferred onto this cassette and I had it in my pocket. And I was like, oh, can I get up and sing? Well, my dad and I was just totally oblivious and all, like, all looked at us like, sit down, you shouldn't even be in here. And I'm like, no, no, I can sing and I want to sing. And I remember the singer saying at the time, if this is a joke, you're going to look like a right idiot. I was like, no, no, I'm serious. I want to sing. And uh, sure enough, I got up, and I think it was about 250 people at the time. I mean, pubs and clubs back then, you know, before the smoking ban, they were full, you know. Yeah, I got up and sang three songs, I think it was, at the time. And uh, at the end of it, because my dad's Dave and I'm Dave, Junior was the chant. Ah, oh, there we go. Uh, yes, and that was, so that that's where the very first time of being on stage came from in the name. So Junior is born at that point, I guess from then, is it countless gigs up and down the country? What's the kind of, the education, if you will? Well, <laughs> talking about education, I don't uh, encourage us kids, any kids listening, sticking at school. Um, I was I was a good boy at school, I wasn't, I wasn't a class clown or anything, but um, through one reason or another, I was recognised as having this kind of uh, prospect, uh, you know, future... And um, a couple of the teachers took a took a bit of a shine to us, and through one thing or another, I was released early from school with no GCSEs. I didn't have to sit them, um, and that basically said 
thing and be on stage and I'm learning about Romeo and Juliet and stuff. It's not going to help us get there. So um, I was released early from school and I put a lot of teachers' jobs on the line, really, at the time, looking back. And even now, I still still, I still talk to them and they say, like, you know, 20 years later or whatever it is, we're lucky that this did come from what, you know, from us giving you that path. So I left school early. Um, I had to lie about my age for the first couple of years to get into pubs and clubs. Um, and then... Yeah, soon enough, um, offers came to then go abroad, and that's where the uh, the next chapter comes in. Well, I was going to ask: Does the uh, entry into the music industry after you've put the grunting across the country does that then offer your passport to the world? Have you gone international in your career? Yeah, so uh, seventeen year old. Um, so I'm perhaps say, maybe three years into into age in the northeast and having had a few family holidays overseas and um, spread me wares whilst I was abroad. I was given the opportunity to go and work uh, in Benidorm in Spain um, for nine months um, in the cabaret bars there. But um, prior to going, um, over a number of years, my dad had suffered with uh, blood clots of the legs and stuff reoccurring. And uh, they put it down, he used to play squash, and he'd been hit with a squash ball in the leg and they said that had started off a chain reaction. However, prior to me going to Benidorm for these nine months, they found it was actually a hereditary condition that he had, um, and I could also have it too. Uh, so obviously I seeked advice on the basis of going abroad and was reassured that I was a young age, um, you know, there'd been nothing happened to me to start the, the, the ball rolling in terms of the clots. And if I should go and enjoy my life, and when I got to the latter parts of my life, then perhaps they would keep a closer eye, but... Um, Sadly, um, four weeks into being there, I was flown home because I was unwell, just generally unwell, and I wasn't earning money. I was just spending money, obviously, for medical care and whatnot abroad. Um, I was flown home. I was diagnosed as having multiple different things, from bronchitis to Spanish tummy. uh, I was given a a multitude of different ailments to try and pull us right, and nothing was. I collapsed six weeks later and I was rushed into the Freeman Hospital fighting for my life when I had um, multiple blood clots of the left leg, groin, spine, left lung and pneumonia. And basically that one in a million chances said might happen had happened. Well, I mean, how's your luck? And it can only be bad luck. But without being flippant, does that mean that your career is kind of then of the essence of, right, I need to grasp this with both hands. I might not be here for a long time, so let's make it the best possible time I can. Yeah. Totally. Uh, obviously, I was given 48 hours to live or die um, in the, the initial diagnosis. I, I was in and out of a coma, had to learn to walk again. Um, and the funny part is that I still laugh about now and still question how the hell I did it. I got out of the hospital after a number of weeks on the Friday and on the Sunday. I was on, on stage in Silksworth in Sunderland um, on crutches, be it. But... Um, Sadly, because of the, the damage to the lung and the smoke and still being in pubs and clubs, um, my work in, in pubs and clubs um, took a back seat and I, I had to go into full-time employment, which I found difficult because of the damage left behind. I'm classed as disabled and so sitting in a call centre or wherever I found myself, I couldn't um, stay in those jobs because of what was wrong. So um, it took until 2010 when the smoking ban come in um, for things to swing back in my favour to get us back where I wanted to be, um, albeit an interview with BBC Radio in Newcastle uh, talking about the smoking ban coming in and how it would benefit me, my health, and coming back into pubs and clubs. 
and um, a chance arose to release a regional record for children in need from that very meeting. And that's where both coming back to performing live and writing and recording your music began. Is it difficult when you go into full-time employment that you've had a taste of something that you absolutely love? You know, you've got that passion and that's really where you want to be. So, yes, you're earning a living, but your heart's not in it. And when your heart's not in it, work becomes twice as difficult, if not more. You know, it can almost consume you because the kind of the day-to-day grind has accelerated so much more. So was that the kind of feeling you had at that time? Yeah, totally. Uh, financially, obviously, it's a mass difference. You know, um, what you get paid singing, it, it is quite a handsome difference to work in that a full-time, you know, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. So um, I was made to appreciate perhaps what I had prior, but also at the same time, it angered us somewhat that I couldn't do it anymore. But once the chance came to go back to it, uh, I grasped it with both hands. Like I say, I got the chance to not only return, but to release the uh, song for Children in Need, which I did a cover of uh, The Impossible Dream. Um, and that opened doors, like like coming back in, in and not only getting the chance to get back on stage, but here I was with a, a music video being shot by the BBC, played on BBC One on uh, Children in Need night. And I kind of um, propelled myself back into the, the world of singing um, quite quickly because of that opportunity. It opened a lot of doors locally and... Um, so yeah, I suppose I was made to really cherish this opportunity. I was given second time round a lot more than first time because I had seen what it was like to work full time. I'd seen the hard work that you had to put in just to earn the same kind of money uh, over a week as what you could possibly get in a night. So it was very, um, very surreal, but definitely enlightening. So I guess when you get that second chance, you absolutely can't let that slip through your fingers, that you have to give everything you can to get back into the world of music showbiz, as you will. You know, you kind of think, right, I had a taste of it. It went away, I didn't want it to go, but now things have swung back. This is it, this is me, so I need to hit everything head on. Yeah, totally. I was um, I was quite cheeky, to be honest, because um, we were given some studio time when we recorded The Impossible Dream, and I done it quite quickly, being the cover song. It was just merely putting a vocal to a track um, and I had wrote some songs myself and I'd used the rest of the studio time to also kind of put demos down of those. And when I was meeting people um, that I perhaps otherwise wouldn't meet because of the children in need slogan, um, I was handing out the demos and asking, you know, is there anything else there that perhaps now that I've opened this door could keep me foot in it, you know, in terms of releasing music or, or having just a, a second, you know, avenue in music besides pubs and clubs. And one of the songs was picked up by Help for Heroes, Bryn Parry, who's a co-founder. Um, and soon after, I got the chance to release uh, one of the tracks I'd written for them. From that, um, I was then um, I wrote an album. Um, one of the tracks called Better Day. There was a video done. A cartoon was made. Um, and Barack Obama featured in it, and he'd not long been made president. One of his family had then put it on Instagram, a, a clip, and it went viral. And then this whole, not only was I stepping back into a world that I was willing to, to do anything to be back and part of, I now had a, a parallel um, avenue running alongside. So I was both performing live, slowly but truly getting back into it with my health. But also I was given this other thing in music where I could express myself and write and really, you know, like it, it was all changing because it was going digital, iTunes, it was MP3s. 
So it, in that period of time of coming back from obviously the health scare and, and the fact that my health's never going to be the same again, I've still got um, potential downfalls. That I, you know, the, the, my life expectancy is apparently forty because of the damage done by the clots to the heart, the lung. I don't look at any of that. I like, you know, I, I just look at everything I've got and the the avenues that I've opened in this time, um, and just like I say, just try and really make the best of what I've got in front of us. Does a lot of it come down to persistence that, you know, in an industry such as this or any one where you're sort of self-employed and you're battling for yourself that you have to keep knocking on doors and you get a lot more no's than yeses, but it's that kind of just keeping at it and waiting for that opportunity to come. Is that where you kind of find yourself now? Yeah, like I say, I I was quite cheeky in terms of ensuring that I kept my foot in that door and and luckily for me, it it kind of worked and I was able to express myself in, in different ways, both continue the both lent to each other really because whilst i was having success with my own music uh, i was getting media attention I was, I was in the you know newspapers both here and in the states i was number one in nine states in america and um i, I picked up awards in hollywood for, uh, for some of my songs so again this was all generating media which then in terms brought attention from local um like opportunities as well festivals gigs so it kind of all lent itself to, to come together and it was it's quite lucky that now um it, i'm in a position now that all of that hard work and persistence has now put me in a comfortable position in life where um nine times out of ten i'm not going to say this will last forever but the phone rings in over rather than me ringing out looking for work um so again yeah persistence is definitely key but it's also determination and sometimes a little bit of luck. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of elements that fuse together. It's not just persistence. You have to be sometimes just the right person at the right time. But hard work seems to always get you where you want to be in the end, which kind of takes us to the present day, if you don't mind. So with Newcastle seemingly under the microscope a lot more due to that Saudi takeover, they're kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue up and down the country. I guess it's the ideal time to write a song about what it means to be a Geordie. Yeah, um, so like everyone, um, I hit that same brick wall as everyone, not only being self-employed, but I think everyone in the world, you know, when the pandemic struck, um, it kind of put me in a position of where the hell do I go? How? What do I do? Yeah, you know, I'm, I didn't have a, a second source of income or anything and the uncertainty. Um, so I went through that, that um, first, I don't know, nine month or whatever it was where everyone was in the same category and in the same position, really. Um, I struggled with my mental health, um, anxiety, panic attacks, and I was just in a really confused place, um, not known. And then, sure enough, things began to, some normality began to shine through. And, and we, um, personally, I began to go fishing with a friend of mine um, who would talk to us about my music and you know you wrote this song why did you write this song and why did you do that and he was just inquisitive because he i'd give him a couple of albums to listen to and he he'd done so and he he was just talking about you know what was it like when that happened what was it like? and, and in a mad way it gives us a kind of like a little bit of an incentive and a buzz at the same time to think you know could i do it again would i do it again but because the world had changed for everyone, um, there was like a flip side of thinking, is it going to be worth it? What can I do? And to be honest, if I'm if I'm really frank with you, 
Um, if there was a, a like a checklist, I had done everything and perhaps done a lot more than I ever anticipated in terms of winning the awards, releasing music, getting a second chance to be back on stage. And there was nothing else to do. And in this conversation, he, he, it got to that crunch point where he said, well, what do you mean there's nothing else to do? And I said, well, there's nothing really I want to do for me, apart from maybe write a local song. And that, that was the, the opening chapter to... Um, well, what do you mean? Well, I would love to write a song because obviously with what's went on with my health and the uncertainty about that and um, obviously with the uncertainty of what was going on in the world, I thought, you know what it is, now is perhaps the right time to do something that will be around a lot longer than I am, hopefully, if I get it right. Um, and I'd had the chorus, you know, I'd had the chorus for about 18 months in my head and I kept just the melody of it and that was it one day of fishing and um then it was a case of over oh, the next two weeks writing the song uh recording it releasing it and well since then it's just been an absolute mad whirlwind well you mentioned fishing i guess that ties in nicely to banks on the river time or banks of the river time should i say so can you expand just a little bit more about what the song is about yeah, of course. Uh, so uh, once once the um, once I had the subject matter and I had the incentive to want to do it, um, and like I said, you, you know, I'm born and bred here. I live here. Um, I'm a fanatic Newcastle United supporter. Um, I knew then the size of the task that I wanted to, to to take on was massive because if I got it wrong, I had to you know earn me crust on the doorstep and be reminded of it quite often probably um so i was in a precarious situation when it came to writing it but i didn't want it to be just a football song or a, a certain subject i wanted it to be that of what made this place special and what made the people special and when when you talk of that you've got to look at what heritage the the the, the coal mines the shipyards uh the roman settling here there's so much history um, and I think that leads, you know, to how when people talk about Geordies being rough and ready and quite uh, hard faced, that's why, you know, because we've got such a hard work and heritage behind where we've always had to earn what we've got. And so I wanted to encapsulate all of that in the song. And to do that, it's a hard, hard thing. Um, and really, the process of when we were recording the song until the song was actually finished and we pressed play on it and sat back and listened to it. It wasn't until that moment I thought this could be okay, this actually, but I didn't want to be the big-headed one to say this is actually all right. Yeah, I mean, if we're honest, the Geordie crowd is not going to be shy and let you know their feelings either way. So I guess you must be overjoyed with the reception that you've had thus far. Yeah, um, really um, coming back to, in terms of the acceptance of the song being crucial to me, um, Two weeks ago, prior to the Chelsea game, um, I was invited to um, Wonder Bar in Newcastle in the Gateway. There's a pre-match show on, um, and there's supporters that you hear on the TV or at a Newcastle game singing for 90 minutes. It's kind of that group of people that go there. Where I was going with the song and getting to perform it live, Sure enough, upon arriving, they had Jerry Cinnamon, they had Oasis and all that kind of stuff blaring and 
You've got all these Geordies up on chairs, tables, standing, hands aloft. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to go in amongst them with this kind of folk tradition song that tells a tale. And I don't think there's enough feeling to match it, to be honest. I was, it, still to this day, I'm sitting talking, you know, just thinking about it, it was if I die tomorrow, I would die the happiest man alive. Perhaps unless I get to sing in the St James's Park. Also, with the the takeover taking place, it's kind of lifted so much doom and gloom off the city in terms of you know everyone's toiled a decade plus in terms of trying to watch Newcastle United. Does it mean that it's also offered them something to latch onto? It's uplifting. It's something that everyone can buy into from the city. It's been very interesting. It's funny that you mentioned that because. Let's not, again, like, I'm not a very uh, self-indulgent person because I think that's a, a dangerous game to play. Sat back on this one and, and just hope for the best in terms of how it's been accepted and how it's been referred to. And funnily enough, uh, the local media, um, on several occasions now, have, have mentioned it being the takeover anthem, the takeover song. Um, and it's being used, you know on podcasts to do with the takeover so it, it yeah i think it has um hey look if people want to refer to it as a takeover anthem or if it's positive then i'm i'm more than happy to accept that what's the media coverage been like i guess it's been quite crazy almost kind of non-stop in the sense that you mentioned podcasts and you're having other appearances on different shows and trying to promote it so has it been a case that the phone hasn't really stopped ringing because you're always explaining the song I guess it's pretty much non-stop over the past few months yeah it's um it's a nice thing though I I you know um, oh yeah you'd never complain would you I mean it's what you want from a, a song <laughs> I, I dread the day it stops because I think I, I, I'm gonna struggle with uh, normality when I get back to it it's I've been doing a podcast or I've been doing a, a live YouTube um whatever stream and um the local media have been absolutely fantastic with it uh funnily enough i mean you know th- there's been that many different angles for bringing a new geordie a rousing anthem so that hit the papers uh alan shearer then tweeted a, or, or liked it on twitter then um obviously i've done the wonder bar performance that then went viral on twitter um then i mean at the moment there's a uh, we we bumped into on the off chance last week passing the training ground we bumped into Eddie Howe in the car and I got Eddie Howe to sign it and it's went on eBay and it's just sold for nearly £400 and so again that's ended up in the media so um, it, it's just constantly finding new feet to keep this momentum going and um, along the way all these opportunities come come as part of that and I really sincerely hand on heart couldn't be happier of course, it's not just Newcastle United fans that you want to win over with this song. It's also Newcastle Blue Star supporters. And with a big crowd set to come to the ground on Friday, you'll have the perfect audience to perform to. Yeah, I, I was up I was up at the ground today, uh, taking it all in. Um, I've passed it several times. I've never actually been in there. Um, I went in today uh, and I was quite taken back for, for a, you know, like a, a non-league side. It, it, the ground is very impressive. Um, and I got to do a sound check. I got to go on the pitch, sing the song, hear the song, you know, uh, ring it out around the ground. And uh, it was it was nice to think that, you know, uh, come Friday night, but they're expecting a huge crowd, um, 1,500 plus potentially. 
And um, I, I just can't wait to get out there and do the song and just see how the the you know the supporters uh, have took to it because I'm I'm quite sure from what I've been told that there's a lot of them that are also Newcastle United supporters that go there on a Friday night to watch them play. Um, and there was also a few mentions on social media of people nearby hearing the song um, when I was doing the sound check. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really really uh, looking forward to getting out there on Friday night. Well, I wish you best of luck for Friday. Not that you'll need it, but before we go, is there anything you'd like to add before we end up this episode of the podcast? No, Dan, I'd just like to thank you again for having us. I'd like to thank Newcastle Blue Star for uh, giving me this opportunity to get out there and perform the song. Um, if anyone wants to, obviously, you know, listen to the song before or after, uh, you can do on YouTube. Uh, just put in Junior Turner Banks, The River Tyne. It's on all of your uh, streaming and download platforms, your, your Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. Um, but uh, if you want to go one step further um, and help help um, a great local worthy cause then you can do um, by either going to juniorturner.co.uk or if you're in Newcastle the back page of the Granger Market um, CD store they have it on CD and from each CD £1 goes to the uh, NUFC Food Bank a fantastic cause and a fantastic interview thank you ever so much for your time tonight Junior thanks Dan take care Okay, that neatly brings an end to this podcast episode. Just a quick bit of admin, that being the first team are at home to Burridon this Friday night and with it set to be a bumper crowd, you surely will not want to miss out on that one. And to make things just a little easier, you can get your tickets beforehand to save you precious time that evening. To all the teams that are taken to the field this weekend, no matter what the age group, the very best of luck to you all. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. To wrap things up, I just need to thank Junior once again for his time. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.